0: That's ixl.com slash B E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am excited to have on the program today, Melissa Sherman. She grew up in rural Virginia, playing in the woods and the streams. She's been a teacher uh, in Title I schools and in independent schools in Virginia, Alabama, and Tennessee before she was a principal. While at Title I school, she was a reading coach and interventionist during much of that time as well. She is currently the principal of a small independent pre-K through fifth grade school called the Fay School in Houston, which is what we're going to talk about today. She also has chickens, a three-acre forest, and kids spend lots of time outside. So that's what we're going to talk about. Melissa, welcome to Transformative Principal.
1: Thank you, Jethro. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you. This is going to be a great conversation. And it's pretty cool when a school can have chickens, a three acre forest and lots of time for kids outside. And I'm sure it doesn't hurt that you live in Houston, where the weather's nicer than in the northern parts of the United States. But tell us a little bit about about what you're doing at your school that's so focused on being outside.
1: Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of people during the pandemic, uh, realized that going outside, uh, was both good for kids and their mental health and also good for all of our, uh, physical health as we navigated how to return to school safely. Uh, we were a little bit ahead of the curve. We had some things going for us that maybe some other schools didn't have right away. Uh, one was a growing outdoor ed program. Um, which included the forest, like you said, and uh, some newly acquired chickens and a newly planted garden, and so we connect those things to academics. But we also have kids play in the woods and dig in the dirt for uh, nature's sake, and uh, we have just seen how that has changed kids and enriched their lives. That it's not just an add-on, but it's a core piece of our curriculum and what we want to teach kids and how we want them to be connected to the earth and this place. Um, Houston is the fourth largest city in America. It is huge and it is filled with a lot of concrete. And um, our school is built on our founder, Marie Faye of Nocatee's Childhood Home. And so uh, we have nine acres around her childhood home and a few academic buildings. And so our kids have the opportunity to eat outside every day, uh, to walk outside, to go to their specials class is uh, to have forest recess um, and some outdoor education classes.
0: Well, I love that you call it forest recess, which <laughs> that sounds a lot better than regular recess.
1: It is, and it's safer, the the incidence of injury in forest recess, although um, a lot of people would consider a lot of the dangers of sticks and roots and snakes and all the poison ivy and all of that. um, We have found, and research bears out, that kids get hurt less often in the forest than they do on traditional playground equipment.
0: Hmm. That is just so fascinating to me because it seems like That would not be the case. But I imagine you probably do a lot of teaching of what poison ivy looks like and how to watch out for snakes and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So we have uh, one basic rule, take care of yourself, each other in this place. And we drill that down a little bit more, but that's our shorthand of what we say to the kids before each forest recess. Uh, when 30-some first graders uh, clump out into the woods, the snakes leave pretty quickly. <laughs> um, the only time I've seen snakes out there is when I've been out there alone and quiet uh, by myself or just with, another adult. Our kids can identify poison ivy. They know how to walk down steep inclines. So we do a lot of orientation at the beginning of the school year uh, for teachers and kids, just to remind each other there's different dangers out there, just like there are different dangers crossing the street or in any other place we go to.
0: Yeah, I like that approach of, of that one simple rule of taking care of yourself, each other in this place. I think that's a good place to start And then recognizing that, uh, you know, we had a similar thing when I lived up in Alaska, where when our family would go out hiking, you know, we had to be worried about bears. But just the fact that we had four young kids who were yelling and screaming and running around, that made the bears want to be far away from us. And so we didn't have any issues at all when we were out hiking. It was only when we were like fishing somewhere And we were quiet and focused on fishing and concentrating that we'd start to have issues because we weren't letting the bears know where we were. So those simple things of just being a human being gets a lot of, a lot of things that could hurt us away right from the word go, which is pretty cool. Um, You talked a little bit about uh, the research bearing out that it's safer in that. What are some other research-based practices that you implement as it relates to being outside?
1: Uh, Well, one book that has really uh, influenced me is by a man named uh, Rich Louvre. He wrote a book several years ago called Last Child in the Woods, um, and he describes this nature deficit disorder, um, how... Childhood has had a great migration inside, and our children are suffering from it with increased anxiety, with disconnectedness to nature and animals. And so we we have learned from his work and from David Sobel and other people's work that There are less rates of ADHD and anxiety. Attention is restored when kids are outside. I have seen confidence just shine with kids. Uh, I was lucky enough when I was a teacher to teach at a school that had a naturalist program. And I was teaching second grade at the time and Had a girl in my class who was dyslexic and had a lot of awareness about uh, how other people were learning to read and write quicker than she was and had a lot of anxiety because of it. But when I took her out in the woods, she was a completely different child. So much so that one day while sitting on the edge of a pond, she reached into the pond and picked a fish out. She was just that calm. Yeah, just that calm and But next to a pond, but in the classroom, she had a lot of anxiety about who she was and her place and her confidence. But she knew, and I knew her parents, they took her outside a lot. And she had a lot of confidence there and she had a lot of peace out there. And so the opportunity to give kids a place to be a leader where maybe they can't be in the classroom is just really an amazing opportunity. And i I personally want to make sure all children can play. Um, there's an organization called Free Forest Schools, uh, freeforestschools.org. And I've learned a lot from them about what kids get out of being in nature. Um, you know, there's intellectual benefits of kids who go outside more have higher test scores. They have a, They have better core muscle skills because they climb trees. And, you know, these are things that we all worry about with our children. And it also says that kids uh, have a preclivity towards being nurturing. And we see that. Uh, With kids in the forest and kids with the chickens that they have learned how to take care of chickens and how to approach them so they don't run away and how to feed them and care for them and caring for something other than yourself, be it a chicken or helping a classmate climb a hill. And we've seen a lot of kids who, uh, there's one child in particularly that was just playing too rough with his friends, you know, didn't really mean any harm by it, but was hurting people. And in the woods, he was able to use all of that energy to help other kids along, help kids learn how to climb hills. Cause he had all the energy to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he was able to, to nurture them and to cheer them on. And it really made a difference. And, how he looked at himself within the group of children he was in class with.
0: Wow, that's that's so amazing. And it's something that I've seen also, but haven't really focused on as much as I think would be beneficial. But when we lived in Kodiak, Alaska, for example, we would do field trips all the time outside in the community. And it was just this small island community. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of places to go, but we We went on more field trips outside of school than any other place that I've been, and it was really amazing because we didn't have a ton of discipline issues, even though we didn't do it daily, but it was still something that we thought was important. So we'd go out in the rain, because it rained all the time there, we'd go out in the nice weather, you know, it didn't really matter, we'd still go out and do these things, and my kids' schools did that also, and you just create this love of nature and this love of the beauty of nature also that is really incomparable. So, when your school started, was it started with the idea that there'd be a lot of outside time as well, or is that something that you brought in as the principal there?
1: So, the school is 30 years old, and uh, the the woman who founded the school had an idea that, uh, she said she hoped so we also border a bayou on one side and one of her hopes for kids was that every child would be able to drop a leaf in the bayou and watch it float away and mm-hmm. so she had this sense she didn't they she didn't call it outdoor education at first it morphed into an outdoor education program that was a half an hour once a month uh uh, me, the head of school, uh, my dean of students, and uh, some of the teachers have really built upon that foundation and tried to g- give it more feet, um, just to make sure that we're hitting We're hitting nature um, more often that our kids spend at least six hours a week outside. We also eat lunch outside every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they really have the opportunity to to be in nature in all different ways through academics and play.
0: Yeah, that's really amazing. And it, it, it sounds like the idea started out as this would be a nice thing to do. And then you and some teachers over time have created it into this really powerful culture of the school, where this is something that we do and we prioritize and plan for to ensure that this happens. You and I both know how important it is to read. Reading opens doors for everyone. But reading can be hard, and learning to read can be even harder, especially if you don't have high-quality, fun decodables. The Just Right Reader decodables utilize the science of reading to make it enjoyable and funny. Not only that, but these books feature diverse characters so kids see themselves in the books. There's over 100 books for each grade level. Check it out today at justrightreader.com. That's justrightreader.com. What are some of the obstacles that you've come up with trying to have kids be outside more?
1: Fear on adults' parts. Mm-hmm. That's that's probably the biggest one. People worried, and uh, rightfully so. We do have the bayou that runs by our school. That's the only thing that ever keeps me up at night is we've got it roped off, but... I, we are very careful. Our our teachers are like lifeguards out there. So, um, you know, they're not on phones. They're not answering emails. They're they're watching um, the the play out there is student led. So teachers aren't responsible for planning any of it. So they really are like lifeguards, watching what's going on, making sure everyone's safe. Um, a lot of people worried about snake bites, poison ivy. Would kids fall? Uh, we have a preschool and at first I was thinking though the preschool shouldn't go down to this one part and the class was gathering someone started talking to me and by the time I got out there the kids and their parents were already down in the gully that I thought might be too steep for them and so kids are kids are not afraid even the ones who are cautious about it with encouragement and scaffolded support they are willing to take that on And then just helping people see that uh, this is different than recess on the playground. It's, there's not, Tag in the woods that we have lots of roots that you can trip on. Um, it's imaginative play, it's uh, it's discovery. And, you know, kids, you know, I always try not to be like the kids today kind of uh-huh. principle, <laughs> uh, but kids don't play as much open ended imagination play as they did when we were kids. And so they're not used to. Uh, to being set free in the woods. I had a child, um, at a former school who, you know, second grade knew all of his division timetables could do anything you can imagine with fractions, but he stood on the edge of the forest watching other kids play because he just did not have that kind of open ended play experience Too scheduled, um, and so, just getting people used to this different mindset has been, has been the biggest hurdle. But as soon as people get out there themselves, as soon as they see kids out there, it's undeniable how much the kids get out of being outside.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. It's what I've seen as well in, in my work also. So, what are some of the benefits back in the classroom that you've seen, uh, you say it's undeniable that there are benefits. So, what are some of the things that you notice that you know in your you know over seventeen years of being in other schools? What what are some of those things?
1: Um, I think that some of it is just being able to being able to get a lot of your energy out, so you're ready to focus and you're ready to be calm. Um, we connect uh, a lot of our science to the forest and the chickens and the garden. Um, I really love place-based science. I think it makes it really meaningful for kids. And so I think when they get back in the classroom, um, they have a little bit of an understanding base to build knowledge upon Uh, one of our grade studies, erosion. And they had done some science experiments in the forest where the teacher had them build mud sculptures and he poured water over top of them. And then had them reinforce it with sticks and leaves and things that they found in the forest and then poured it over again. And so they realized all these properties of erosion prevention. And so when they did get to the nonfiction reading about it, they had this experience to build and construct that knowledge from Kids are calmer after they've been in nature. Adults are calmer after they've been in nature, um, and we all need that peace in our lives where we um, where we take a break from being inside, from you know fluorescent lights, and um, listen to the leaves rustle.
0: Yeah i I love that example of the um, of the lesson because it's one thing to read about erosion and see it in a textbook or to see the extreme examples that they show in videos that we show in school to say this is what it looks like. But to see that simple erosion that happens as a natural part of life that, you know, a tree that that falls over is going to start eroding naturally. And that's part of the the process of life, and it's it's a powerful thing to see that in real life, and see it day over day over day where you don't see much change, and then you go back later, and even you know taking pictures of what that looked like and what it was like beforehand, and and as I mentioned, where we lived in Kodiak, um, thing the grass, the moss, excuse me, would grow really fast, and so things could get covered up, and you wouldn't see them anymore because they could. Get covered up in just a short amount of time. And it was really neat to see how that worked in real life versus how that worked just in an academic way.
1: Wow. Wow, that's really powerful. And I believe that, you know, that those kinds of learning experiences also help kids be more confident in themselves as learners. They've constructed the knowledge, they're retaining the knowledge because they've constructed it themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you have some, uh, you've talked about a couple of resources for cheap resources or free resources for nature play. And one of the other challenges is a lot of schools don't have nature close by. So what's your advice for for that? If you don't have nature close by, how do we yeah. get out more?
1: Yeah, some of this success is uh, because we don't have to get on a bus to go to nature, yeah. right? Um, but I do think there are lots of things that people can do, even if they just have a couple of patches of grass. Um You know, to build a raised bed garden, you need some cinder blocks, some dirt, and some sunflower seeds. And, you know, you can start with one grade level who is studying plants or a couple of kids who need some help self-regulating and and get them outside and get their hands dirty and get them in the dirt. Uh, A lot of state parks have free or very low-cost field trips. And I think considering some of those places instead of performances which are also important in the arts but and pumpkin patches and things like that but getting kids out into a state park where there are lots of trees um, is just really cheap and it doesn't take a lot to do that Uh, and it can really open some kids eyes to what maybe is not available to them in their neighborhood
0: Hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely the state, par- state parks is a great idea um, because they want people to be using those. You know, and if you take a busload of kids there, there's a chance that the kids will go back and tell their parents, "We went to this place. We should go there again." And um, and that certainly happened in my family that we didn't know about a specific state park, and then and then we saw that from the kids going on a field trip there. And that's a that's a really good idea and a good suggestion that it really is the cost of the buses and maybe a use or access fee. And that's pretty much it of which Mm -hmm. I'm sure most state parks will say, Oh, you're a school doing a field trip. Well, you know, it only costs this much and you can, you can work that out. So definitely worth it to, to have those conversations. So the other thing I like is the idea about building a raised flower bed or garden raised garden. We built a community garden at one of my schools and um, actually, we built gardens at, at every school that I was at, now that I think about it, <laughs> because it's, it's really easy and fun to do and a worthwhile uh, activity for everybody involved. Um, and, do, and do you have a, a garden at your school also?
1: Yes, so we have eight raised bed gardens, um and we have a master gardener that comes in who that does the majority of the teaching in there. Our kids um, tasted broccoli and lettuce last week um, that they had planted a couple months ago. Uh, and, you know, as for we we're talking about funding, you know, she goes to lots of different types of schools, um, and some of them pay her. Th- through uh, a PTO fund and grants, Um, and she comes in regularly for lessons, and then the kids also visit the garden. And we've had some adults who have had aha moments about what our food Looks like before it shows up in the grocery shelves, and I think that is really exciting because the kids are seeing the adults learn at the same time and realizing you know that that lesson we always want, that uh, we don't have to be the ones with all the answers. We can learn alongside you and uh, make some discoveries of our own.
0: Yeah, I, I love that example, and I love it when kids can see adults figuring things out at the same time, which is a really fun thing for kids to experience. Um, So one of the other things that I want to talk about briefly is I've had uh, Craig Randall on the program, and he connected us because he's been doing some work with you on trust-based observations. And this is not about being outside or anything like that, but can you talk a little bit about that experience and what that's been like for you and your teachers?
1: Yes, that has been uh, probably the most powerful experience of mine coming from a teacher to a principal. My first principal was pretty rough on me in my first teacher observations, uh, so much so that I would get lightheaded when he would come into my room. Uh, And, uh, you know, just made it very um, high stakes. And, uh, you know, what, what Craig's book, Trust-Based Observation, really showed me was that this can be a tool for building relationships. Um, sometimes it's hard as a principal to know every single teacher individually. And, um, you know, I am observing between five and eight teachers a week for 20 minutes and then having a reflective conversation the next day. And every time I do it, I learn a little bit more about each individual teacher, both their strengths and challenges as a teacher, but also to know them professionally. And building that trust, I think, is just the foundation of being able to make suggestions in people's teaching. Um, And that is not to say that I know a lot more than any Anyone else? I taught for seventeen years, so I do know a bit about teaching, and um, taught preschool through eighth grade. So I've done a little bit of everything but uh, being able to see things that people can't see in themselves and point it out to them has been really valuable. I had a teacher say, oh, it's hard with these young kids to uh, get higher order thinking questions in there when you're looking at blooms. And I, I was able to scroll down in the observation form and show her that she's doing a lot of higher order thinking questions with her little kids. She just wasn't realizing it because it's so ingrained in who she is as a fabulous teacher, um, and so we started that in October, um, and so we are on our second and third observations of teachers. And I've never experienced that as a teacher to have a principal come into my classroom and and notice me two or three times in a school year, and we're not even halfway through the school year. Yeah, um, and so I'm really excited about that. Next year, we're going to start uh, groups of teachers to study different different things they want to improve upon to make goals. And I'm already noticing teacher leaders that are going to emerge and be able to lead those. So it's not me as the sage on the stage, um, but each one, each teacher will be able to have some real leadership opportunities.
0: Yeah, that's really great. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, The final question I'd like to ask is, what is one thing a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you, Melissa?
1: Uh, I go to recess, go to recess, watch kids play, catch up with a teacher you haven't talked to in a while. And see what your kids need by watching them play and see what your teachers need by talking to them and breathe the fresh air. We all know that this is a hard job and sometimes you need to make sure that you're walking away from it and just taking, you know, five or ten minutes and being outside, being with your teachers, being with your kids. You will not regret it.
0: Yeah, brilliant advice. Well, thank you so much uh, for being part of this today. It's been great to chat with you and learn from you. Thank you for taking the time and for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you for having me. Do you want to simplify your school's technology? save teachers' time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time.